Welcome to WP Tonic, episode 130. Today we've got our WordPress panel answering the age-old question, does content marketing really work? And before I let the panel introduce themselves, I just want to remind everybody, if you're getting value out of the WP Tonic podcast, be sure to go to iTunes, subscribe, and leave a review so more people can find this podcast. And with that, I want to introduce our panel today, uh, and we'll go uh, seniority backwards. So, Adam, introduce yourself. I'm Adam Fout. So I'm the content writer and social media manager at Blue Steel Solutions, although I think on there I said I'm the content wizard or something silly like that. And uh, I'm in charge of everything content at Blue Steel Solutions, a small marketing firm in Texas. Very good. Bridget. Hi, I'm Bridget Willard. I'm the marketing manager for WordPress. We build plugins, and Give is our flagship plugin. Very nice, Sally. Uh, I'm Sally, and, and this is my uh, attention deficit. And uh, uh, my business is WP Fangirl, and I uh, build sites for uh, small businesses and nonprofits. And I also run the East Bay WordPress Meetup in Oakland, California. Excellent. Jonathan. Oh, hi there, folks. I'm the founder of WP Tonic. Um, we are a maintenance and support company. If you're a designer, developer, consultant, or a business owner, and if you've got legacy clients, if you're the first three, we can help you with those. If you're a business owner and you're looking for a boutique uh, maintenance support company that will be there 24 hours for you, Please contact us. We're here to help. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You're there to take uh, legacy clients off people's hands. Uh, my name is John Locke. Boring maintenance work. Oh, yeah, most definitely. Yes, yes. My name's John Locke. I run a small WordPress consultancy in Sacramento, California called Lockdown Design. It specializes in local SEO and WooCommerce integrations. Uh, before we get into today's main topic i want to we're going to run down a few wordpress stories that are in the news and i think the one that everybody's talking about right now is uh, pippin williamson's article on page builders now all this started with a tweet storm or uh, a tweet that he put out a couple of weeks ago saying uh, that most wordpress page builders uh, are not that great and they cause conflicts with other plugins and themes, and then he set out to review a whole slew of uh, page builders for WordPress. Uh, Adam, what were your big takeaways from this article? And then he set out to review a whole slew of page builders for WordPress. So I was thinking that... um, What were your big takeaways from this article? You know... Sorry, I, I for some reason it's doubling. Maybe the, you have the window open of the actual website. Let's see if I can. There it is. Yeah, you only need one screen actually. Otherwise, you're going to get a terrible echo. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Okay. So anyway, uh, the big takeaways for me were that you know, page builders are not ideal. You know, they're not the best way to go about things, and that you know some of them do work. Maybe. But really, if we if we want to make the best solution for our customers, we probably shouldn't be using them much. 
you know, that because the, the user experience of suffering was kind of the, the big thing for me. Most definitely. Were you surprised by where any of the page builders at Pippin Review ranked? Did, did anything surprise you in this? His reviews? Uh, not really. I mean, we don't really use page builders very much. We're not, um, you know, we've just kind of started looking at them. It's always been something that we've avoided. So, you know, we we weren't, it wasn't anything that I we really knew a whole lot about anyway. You know, we, it's, we try our, you know, our best to build things, you know, the normal way, I guess you would say. So, you know, page builders are something we've just started looking into, um, you know, and it ha- they have limited use, I think. You know, there are certain situations where they're great. There are certain situations where it would be—it's wonderful to have a page builder. But for the most part, you know, we we kind of stay away from them. Well, I am of the same mind as you. I really don't use page builders all that much. Uh, people sometimes come to me and they already have a site with a page builder. Uh, it can be problematic sometimes. Uh, Bridget, what? So, you know, dip- what we're so diplomatic, John. So diplomatic. <laughs> well, I mean, we use Beaver Builder, so we like, you know, we like Beaver Builder. But just based on his tweet storm, it sounded to me like his perspective was from doing support for his plugin shop, right? Yes. So that's a different perspective, isn't it? So also, I would mention that. Plugins don't necessarily jive with each other, regardless of whether or not they're page builders. That's one thing. Yeah. Also, some developer can make their own custom theme, and that could not work because that happens sometimes. And um, even uh, when I saw Yoast uh, talk at the Advanced WordPress Meetup in San Diego last month, he was saying, "Are you name dropping, Bridget? I am name dropping." <laughs> I was at the advanced. Oh, WordPress I'm disgusting. I would never do, I would never do that. <laughs> well, just be be sure to like mention that, you know, you got the like selfie with Simon Sinek. Too. Yeah, I did get the selfie with Simon Sinek, which does which <laughs> does trump um Yoast Devolk. Sorry, Yoast. But anyway, um he was saying when they, they test Yoast SEO, they test it with forty instances of plugins. So not every plugin shop, or not every theme shop, or not every page builder, which is essentially a plugin, is going to test with all these other things. And that's GPL, right? I mean, this is the world of open source where everybody could do whatever. But to me, to to single out page builders is I would to me I would trust a page builder more than I would trust some janky theme on. Teamsomething.com. Love Bridget. <laughs> well, you know, I'm kind of with you. If, if, if I was going to use a page builder, I would use Beaver Builder. Um, and, and you're right. You know, it could be somebody's custom theme causing the problems, uh, you know, as well. But I think you touched on something interesting. The, the, the whole thing started with a tweet. So, you know, perhaps there is some frustration with support that had been building up with the, you know, EDD team or, you know, sure. so, yeah, it's very likely, but I, I, I think it's very insightful uh, for, you know, plugin developers to get a perspective from another developer within the community that they would listen to. Well, and the standardization issue that he brought up, I think that was important too, you know, because WordPress is something that, you know, we love it. And, you know, once we've dug into it, we can say, this is simple. 
It's something that that we can easily. It's much simpler, obviously, than building something by hand. Um, but at the same time, you know, we're got we a lot of people who are using WordPress. They're using. They're very new, you know, and a and a page builder is simple for them to understand and to do things that would take a lot of training and time to learn how to do. And not having these things standardized and making it so that basically, you know, they're they're going to have all these complex is a problem. And I I would be. You know, we, you and I can both agree that a page builder is not an ideal solution, but for a lot of folks who just want to do their own thing and run their own website, they need, these things are helpful to them and having them standardized is super important if they're going to keep growing in, uh, excuse me, in popularity. Yeah, I've got two things to say. One thing that I want to hire the uh, marketing manager that manages Pippin's websites. (laughs) Uh, Because this is all been pre-planned for months, and uh, you just knock out a ten thousand word article just like that, don't you? Uh, um, so whoever does his PR, I want him. Um, secondly, secondly, um, to be more serious, um, I think it's linked to what um, Jackie, one of our regular panel, said a few weeks ago. Uh, actual pay, page builders, actual website builders. Um, I think a lot of this comes from the basic WordPress editor is so horrible. It's so useless. Um, and it need, needs urgently to be revised and improved quite considerably. Because a lot of people are using these page builders not to actually build pages so much, but actually give them an editor that actually works the way it's it should work in 2016 and the basic editor is so useless um, that it's a disgrace really so it needs to be updated and a lot of, a lot of this demand will not all evaporate because basically if you're choosing the right theme you're only looking to do minor layout changes in the actual content area um, and a lot of people are using these page builders because, like I say again, the, the actual editor is so horrendous. Yeah, definitely. Sally, what were what were your thoughts on this article? Sure, <clears throat> there were a couple of, uh, of of things that struck me. One was that you know it it, it seems that uh, Pippin was wailing on uh, page builders in part because. Uh, so many of the support issues that he runs into with, and it was seems to have been particularly with Restrict Content Pro, had to do with page builders versus other kinds of... And uh, that this has to do with the fact that some of these uh, plugins basically mess with where your content goes and what gets used, and, and therefore anything else that's hooking into the content is, you know, is affected in some way. Uh, and uh, then there was kind of a more specific issue that uh, the way that you use Restrict Content Pro with, with kind of putting short codes around the stuff that you want to, to restrict doesn't necessarily work depending on how the, you know, if, if you've got a, a custom layout, which is also built out of short codes. Uh, there's kind of like things that sort of specifically uh, break his plugin and things that could break anything that, that depended on, uh, you know, basically the WordPress to work. And so some of this seems to be about, you know, plugin developers not thinking enough about sort of overall 
compatibility and, and the principles of how WordPress works versus specifically testing with every plugin. Because there are too many there are too many plugins. You yeah. can't specifically test with, with everything. And, and, you know, that would not be a, a, a thing we'd expect from people. Um, and, uh, you know, he did end up moderating his viewpoint a bit because he found that, you know, well, in some of these cases, the plugins were actually not too bad in terms of the conflicts and, and et cetera, and, and so on. Uh, and, uh, you know, and in others, they were terrible. And there were issues, you know, beyond possible uh, conflicts with his plugin in terms of like, what happens to your content if you turn off the plugin, if you switch away from the, the, the you know, page builder uh, tool back to the regular editor. And, and, you know, it is a big issue for people, even though, you know, they're not thinking about it when they're building their site. But, you know, a year or so down the road, they may want to change themes, have a redesign, do something, and then where is your content? Yeah. And so, it, you know, it, it makes sense to choose a page builder plugin that's going to leave your content intact, make it possible to convert to something and, and not absolutely lock you in. And uh, so, he, you know, he came out with some suggestions for, uh, you know, plug it, you know, better to use. And, and the, these are things that, you know, for the people, because, you know, new page builders are, are still coming out. If you're, uh, if you're considering creating a page builder plugin, you know, this is something you should really look at because if you solve these problems, you're going to get a lot of people in the WordPress community behind you. Uh, and, you know, that will be good for your success. Uh, well, I'll rely on Divi to keep me pay my mortgage oh my so um, sorting out I spent, me and my crew we spend days sorting out insane Divi problems so Divi <laughs> keep on going mate you know you're keeping us keeping me fed that's what I've got very so. good very good <laughs> <laughs> no I mean definitely like what you're saying though um, page builders are not going to slow down anytime soon there's definitely a need I know Chris Lemma wrote an article about that recently as well, that there's a lot of people, they don't necessarily have the budget uh, to go and hire a developer and, and maybe just a commercial theme and a page builder is, uh, you know, the solution for them. Yeah, I, it, I, I do agree or, with you. I do agree with you, John. Um, there are people like that, but I think the bulk of people, you know, I've got no evidence for this. I might be totally wrong, but um, I think well, the bulk of people use these because the editor, the basic editor, is so appalling. Well, I agree with that completely. I mean, it's it's so bad. There's so little you can do in there without, you know, it's. I mean, just getting things into columns is a pain in the ass. You know, yeah. it's, it's so stupid. It should. It. It. There. These are very. I remember being when I first got into WordPress and finally realizing, oh, I can't just throw things into columns i need a plugin or something to do that like you've got to be kidding me how do we not have that and i don't only started using it you know three or four years ago and already i was like this is a simple function that we should have so yeah the the basic editor has problems <laughs> bridget i was just gonna say that um just because you use a page builder doesn't mean that you're less of a developer sometimes <laughs> it's about time okay so we we do some agency work and sometimes the client just wants to change something. And it's easier to just add a row on that one page with Beaver Builder for a hundred bucks than to hire somebody else to do that because all you want is a video to appear somewhere, right? 
So, I mean, for us, we can spin up our demo sites for plugins really easily. I, I think that there's, I think that there's a dangerous trend in deciding who and who is not a real developer. We start talking about tools because really these are tools, just like frameworks are tools, just like themes are tools. I mean, it's everybody starting with their own plain CSS and PHP. Come, I mean, come on. Well, a real developer writes it all by hand on. There's a certain <laughs> group of snotty developer types in the WordPress community. I never knew that, Bridget. I never knew that. I'm just saying, I read Twitter for a living. I see it all day long. Yes. And it's kind of silly because, right, you know. According to my husband, you're, you're not a you real developer about if you don't de- use a compiled language. Are you yeah, talking right. A, you're talking about that certain developer when I was on your show, Bridget, that had a go at me for using uh, fireworks. He actually yeah. had a go. Are you talking about that type of individual, Bridget? Oh, sorry. <laughs> I'm not. I'm just saying we should we should really he think about He will remain nameless because he's a young man, but he will, uh, it's, <laughs> registered, it's registered in my elephant memory, though, Bridget. Oh, man. I just love that. I just thought, you keep going, young yeah, man. <laughs> I think you have a great point, Bridget, that, you know, um, there's different levels of developers. Um, and I, and I, I do realize that there is a trend where we kind of classify, now we're starting to classify people as like, you know, um, you're like an implementer if you don't, you know, Right in yeah. assembly or binary, like close to the metal, you know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it, it takes all kinds of people. You need those people that that, um, you know, are just implementers, or you wouldn't be selling your copies of Divi or Beaver Builder or Visual Composer. Exactly. And then where would you be? Yeah. Right. And then for us, I mean, we work with nonprofits, right? So yep. give. Come on, automatic. <laughs> just, just buy Beaver Builder, for God's sake. You've got enough bloody money in the bank. Just we don't up, care. Just cough we up don't. a million dollars and buy them, for God's sake. Well, we don't. Buddy in. Get it over with, for God's sake. Okay, okay. <laughs> All joking aside about mergers and acquisitions, the truth is, <laughs> it doesn't matter to us. If they use Divi or if they use um, Beaver Builder, however they can go up and running and use their online donations and go forward in their life is fine with us, right? So I think if you're a plugin that has functionality, it's on you to... Well, someone's going to just like me, got their phones on. Breaking news. It's so hard to talk. So that's hard. Matt. That's Matt from Automatic. <laughs> I'm ready to go. What do you got? Anyway. That's well, I, just, it. I just don't know why they just don't buy them and get it done and over with. Because that's not how they roll. It's open source. It's about communities. About right. And, and uh, frankly, I don't want Automatic to own everything. Right. Thank you. Look how people are with Jetpack. The only thing that's more divisive in the WordPress community besides page builders is Jetpack. Yeah, that's a holy war. (laughs) I'm not even going there. (laughs) We'll be here all day. Shall we go on to the next story, John? Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Next subject. (laughs) Next subject. And this is like an intriguing one. And this kind of like rolls into 
um, you know, something we were just saying here too. Um, it doesn't matter like how you get there. Uh, it just matters that you get there. Uh, and now there is a theme on theme forest that is selling for $225, which, uh, some people might think is outrageous, but a lot of people say that the theme market should have been going that direction for a long time. What are your thoughts on this, Adam? Is this going to open the door for more theme builders to charge more or? Um, I mean, yeah, I've always been surprised by how low the prices are for mm-hmm. themes. I've always been surprised when I first started using WordPress. I was like, you, you're telling me I can get a theme for, you know, 50 bucks or 60 bucks or 80, you know, it's too low. And I, and I think it, I think it's good for some of these things to be more expensive. And the reason I think that is that, you know, it, it's, it's not a simple thing to build a theme, you know, it's not a simple thing to build a plugin and then to have to turn around and, you know, a lot of plugins have to just be pushed out for free. They have to be awesome. Right. There's all these expectations. And I, and I feel like, you know, I know it's a contentious subject, but I, I feel like it's a, it's a good thing that it, that it costs more because we want, I would like uh, the developers who are in the WordPress community to be able to eat and yes. have a house and, and not have to, and, and more importantly, to be able to make something quality and to be able to say, this is quality and I'm charging a quality price for it. Yeah, it's like parking in downtown LA. I want to pay $40 because then I feel safer. You know something, Adam. I, you, know, you know something, Adam. I, I, a lot of the people that have a go um, when you read these forum and the idiots that leave their remarks, most of them you find that most of them have got full time jobs. Yeah, and they're doing a bit of coding on the side, right. so they they don't have to run a business and pay yeah. all the bills, and they're pricks basically. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, don't hold back. Uh, they never run anything in their life and never will do and what mm-hmm. they have tried to run it's been a total disaster so yeah, right. that's why they have a go at people <laughs> you know i've come to that conclusion adam there's a lot in the wordpress community a bit like that you know um and- well i think i think you're right i think there's an expectation that goes along with anytime anything is free in any sort of community anything above free someone's gonna have a problem with it you know and that i think that's just an an unfortunate truth but you're right like i i am i am happy for the increase in price i think developers should be able to you know spend a lot of time on a theme and say this is this has value i put a lot of work into it it's going to work well for you you know now pay me a price that's worthwhile Bridget, what do, what do we what do you think about this theme? Like, uh, I think it's significant because it's on Theme Forest, which is a place that's been notoriously low priced, and and you'd never really pay more than sixty nine dollars, like tops. Yeah. So we'll, well just open the floodgates. It, I mean, it could, to me, it could be a marketing strategy to elevate their um, perception that they aren't a bunch of janky junk themes or that they're like those stock, you know, stock market bonds where there's really bad credit ones all plumped in with the good credit ones over that yeah. in 2009. So like you'd lump all this stuff together and you go, Oh, this theme was good. This theme was good. And these were all crap, you know? So I, I don't know like what that concept is in WordPress, but I know that when people pay more, they value it more. Um, I yep. know that if they want to be seen as 
less flea market and more Nordstrom, they're going to charge more. Thank and you. I also think that I also think that you're still going to pay less, paying two hundred fifty dollars, than hiring a developer to build you a custom thing with ACF or whatever framework they're going to use. So either way, it's it's a maybe it's a big price increase, but also we've had inflation. Like I, everybody like gets stuck in their mind ten years ago. Like how much you pay for gas, rent, milk. Just being alive. How much is your health insurance? What's your nut to be alive? Like, what is your nut just to breathe air on this planet? And then figure out how much your time costs you and then charge it. If people don't want to pay for it, then you don't want those people as customers. It is quite expensive to live around here. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not passionate about it or anything. (laughs) Tell us how you really feel, Bridget. (laughs) I, I have a few thoughts and then I want to kick it over to Sally. Um, like what Adam was saying, there's a lot of people that expect everything to be free. And you know, there's a, there's a word for people like that. It's called free Loda. And you can <laughs> Loda. <laughs> but, um, what you're saying, yeah, perception is reality. Like it, 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 you know, the jump from 69 to 225 is really not that much. And it's definitely not as much as jumping from. 225 to say like 5,000 or 10,000 for a website. So really they're still getting a bargain. Um, You know, Sally, what are your thoughts? Are more people going to start charging an adequate price so they can actually live? I think it depends a little bit on what happens with this one. Uh, You know, the, the challenge with being the first to raise it is, you know, raising them all across the board is that people are, what makes this theme so special that it, should cost more than the rest of them do because it it is a matter of, of your perspective and the angle and and absolutely if you are thinking about you know 225 bucks versus getting a, a custom built or even a customized site from a developer it's still a smoking deal yeah. but if you're looking at you know every other theme on this marketplace is you know 60 bucks or 75 bucks um then you're going to have really high expectations of of the theme that you pay more for there and i think it's probably going to be easier for people who are not on a big marketplace you know who are a a smaller theme shop or an individual to charge more for a a theme because uh, they don't have that they're not surrounded so much in their immediate context by stuff that costs less Uh, so uh, you know, I th- I think it's going to probably take more than one and take it having success and, and take, you know, reframing the, the angle that people are, are, are looking at it from so that they understand that it's, you know, this is, you know, this is still really a, a bargain. Because, yeah, unfortunately, when there's stuff available for free uh, and, you know, there are a lot of perfectly nice themes available for, for free for, for WordPress – then you know the big the biggest jump is from free to like one cent. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it, it's you know paying anything at all is a big challenge for for some people. And you know yes, it's totally unreasonable to expect so much for free. But because there is so much available for free, people have that expectation. Yeah. And so you know you need to be able to make the argument for value successfully in order to to get people to pay that. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, I think it, it might be it might be difficult uh, in the beginning for, for a theme on Theme Forest to say, yes, you know, this theme costs 225 and no, we don't actually have any features that, 
you know, any any of the other themes here, <laughs> you know, are lacking. Yeah, I think but, that in itself is a feature. Go ahead, Jonathan. Yeah, before we go for our break, John, uh, um, I just got a couple quick points to make. Um, I I always I get really annoyed with this certain group in the WordPress community that have a go at Theme Forest because I've got to be truthful. There's some theme shops that I've had a much worse experience with dealing with their code than some of some of Theme Forest's uh, themes. It, it's a marketplace. It varies enormously. If you're buying from experience, there's some. Um, developers that only sell through Theme Forest, and I actually think their code is a lot better than certain theme shops that will name nameless. <laughs> uh, um, so I, I think a lot of this is uh, just kind of um, you know you, you're not going to get a lot of kickback if you have a kick at Theme Forest, um, it, you know. So if you engage in it, and I think with the price i think it's to do with availability if you if you're going to buy a theme that's a, a limited edition that they're only going to sell a certain amount of that theme because some of the popular themes you do see them all over the internet you know linked to certain um will remain nameless you can literally tell it's one of their themes almost straight away uh, but if you're if you're going to buy a theme from a, a respected developer designer and it's going to be a limited edition, um, you probably I probably would be okay by it's coughing up to fifty five hundred dollars. So maybe that's a road they should go down. If they keep the support up, mm, exactly. That that's the point, though. I last thing before we go to break. Um, I've had clients where they got a theme for a theme. And if you're not like one of the top 10 sellers, a lot of times those theme authors, they're nowhere to be found in two or three years because you don't have the sales and you're only charging $69, $59. And so you can't support it. And so you have to go do something else. Yeah. So uh, I think sustainability is a big feature. And, and that means you have to pay more than peanuts, you know, for yeah, a right. So definitely we're going to head into our break and then we're going to come back with our main topic, which is does content marketing really work? Mm-hmm. See you in a minute. Buying or selling a home in the greater Reno Tahoe area? I know the best CRS real estate broker and that's Karen Conrad and you can find her at karenconrad.com or call directly at 775-527-7021. We're back from our break. And we're discussing our main topic, does content marketing really work, uh, with the panel, Adam Fout from Blue Steel Solutions, Bridget Willard from Word Impress, Sally Getch from WP Fangirl, and Jonathan Denwood from WP Tonic. Uh, first question I want to ask the panel is, Adam, what is content marketing for those who don't know what it is, and why is content marketing important? So content marketing is is a form of inbound marketing, right? So it fall, kind of falls under that umbrella. And the idea is to, to create valuable pieces of content to draw people in, you know, create something that someone's looking for that helps them rather than as opposed to uh, traditional marketing, which is throwing something in someone's face, interruptive marketing, where 
you know, you're, you're watching TV, everything's going along fine, you're enjoying your show, and then an advertisement comes on, right? That's, that's in your face. Content marketing, on the other hand, is very different. It's where generally, right, well, I'm looking for an answer to a question. I go online, I search for that answer, and I find a piece of content created by company X, right? And it answers my question. And they, rather than them trying to sell me on company X's product, instead, they're telling me, you know, here, here's an answer to your question. Here's us being helpful. Oh, by the way, the thing that you, that we're helping you with, we also do, or we have a service related to it or product or whatever. And that, and then, you know, drawing the customer in and, and really the core of it that I love so much is that it, it's helping rather than bothering people. That's how I would define it. Most definitely. Um, I, I think you're framing that like perfectly. It's answering stuff that, that people are looking for anyway. Yeah. Uh, you know, Bridget, when you're working there at Word Impress, and when you were working uh, previously uh, for Riggins, how did you come up with content marketing ideas? Oh, my God. Ideas are my nemesis. <laughs> I wish I had more of them. Um I, I'm the worst, but it's actually, I hate to say this because it's like live and recorded, but it was easier when I was at the construction company because... It never stops me, Bridget. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but you're my um, cautionary tale. So, <laughs> But um, I was in the office next to my boss all day long. That's the upside, right? So I knew everything, every pain point I was very familiar with. So when I knew that people were having trouble with epoxy injection, I knew how to solve that problem, right? That's my famous example. Now I'm a remote worker, and I'm only in the office once a week. So other than people talking on Twitter, I probably should spend more time in the support forums. I don't necessarily have that pulse. So um, I, lo- I love your CEO. I followed him on Facebook. He just goes to all these exotic places with his beautiful <laughs> wife. You know, oh, yeah, just face, you know, I just follow him just for that, Bridget. <laughs> no, well, Devin's awesome. No, I mean, it's not. It's just that you know that's a difference of being in the office and hearing the overhearing the phone calls, right? So we're a software company for lay people, right? So the the if I want to know what the pain points are, I need to talk to head of support. And so um, I just try to think of um, things that will be helpful. Like who is our audience? Like the personas. I used to make fun of um, Heather <laughs> and Adam for like oh personas. Like you guys are like yeah. every it's a drinking game with those people. <laughs> How much times they say persona? And um, but now I'm like yeah. Well, who's your audience? Nonprofits, what do they need to know how to do? Blog, get on YouTube, get on Facebook. Like all of a sudden when I started like getting more into that mindset, then it was easier for me. To me, uh, assuming a persona, assuming a personality or a brand online, whether it's on Twitter or blogging, you have to assume a personality like like almost like a method actor. And Mm so when you think like that, you know, I spent three years with my boss before I started the content marketing, I knew exactly what would say for anything. So I, I only not, I just switched, uh, I switched people and industries. So I don't, you know, I don't always know what they would think, but now I feel like I'm in that groove where I know exactly what somebody would say, exactly what we would think. And it takes a while, but you know, you have to just keep pushing it out because one idea will give you another idea, which will give you another idea. 
but but in the back of your mind, it always has to be to help. You know, it always has to be a resource. I try to think of things that um, are evergreen. You know, I try to. I don't really like to latch on to news because I feel like that's going to be old, and mm-hmm. then people won't care anymore. Um, like no offense to the opening segment of this show. Like this show oh, is a yeah. new show. So, I'm not, but I'm just I'm saying, not like when I'm writing, you, Bridget, anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you're not getting 1,600 of my best words on so and so buying what you call it. I don't give a crap. It's nobody's going to care in two weeks, so it's not worth my time. You know what I'm saying? I had to start out with a no. Bridget. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I totally get it. Um, definitely. So, uh, Sally, uh, when it comes to content marketing, how do you decide uh, what to put out there? What subjects to cover? You know, I think I have Bridget's opposite problem. I, I have way more ideas than I actually have time to write mm-hmm. uh, oh, stuff yeah. about, and, and it gets kind of backlogged. And and you know, fortunately, you know, at least some of those ideas are rel- are relatively evergreen. It's not so much you know about so, so that you know if if I end up writing about it two months later, it, it doesn't matter so much. Um, but, uh, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of what I write about, I write uh, tutorials and I write about kind of things that I've encountered either, you know, issues real clients have had or, or things that I've had to, to, to do, um, uh, you know, when I'm, uh, when I'm building sites and I, you know, I write tutorials partly for myself cause you know, I have a mind like a steel sieve. So if I want to know, remember <laughs> like what I did, I can go back and read my own tutorial on how did I do that? <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it, it's, uh, it's, it's fairly selfish, but you know, other people do find it useful sometimes, <laughs> but um, yeah, you know, it's, it's like, I have too much work to be very good at content marketing. I think one thing, if you don't mind, John, one thing that that helps me a lot is, um, you know, keyword research, looking at what people are searching, looking at what people are interested in when when it comes to a product. And a lot of that time that can drive. And for me, I'll see I'll see a keyword phrase come up, some long tail keyword phrase. I'll be like, perfect. You know, that is a question that that requires an answer that I can write. Most definitely. John, Jonathan, and, and what is, um, you know, when you've come up with ideas for, you know, the, the WP Tonic blog or the podcast, like before I was here, you know, how did, how did you come up with those ideas? Oh, it was just a mess before you came on board, You bring logic and stability to the show, John, and it shows. <laughs> uh, but no, to be serious, um, well, it was partially true, actually. No, but um, I would like to ask the two guests seriously. Um, we had Chris Hardy on the sh- on the interview for the interview this week, and um, he was very impressive. And he he was remarking that um, inbound marketing has become much more difficult to get a result because. Yeah just the volume and he i think he gave some great insights of what he's looking at and he's very experienced and you probably know him a bit adam he's in the same area um i just wanted to ask you know both you and bridget what what you know maybe you can give some insights what it what it takes to actually produce some content that actually derives some benefit 
to your company and maybe give some insights to that because I, I've, I've no but actually Chris um, Chris gave me um, has given me a good topic for this month's 4,000 word article that I'll be knocking <laughs> up next week uh, um, so um, he can come back on anytime he likes because he gave me a good idea so, but, but seriously I just want like some insight because I, I think it has become a lot more difficult hasn't it Absolutely. I mean, it's become so difficult. You, I mean, just throw in a random search sometime and see what comes up. And a lot of it is crap, right? Because people are trying to do content marketing, but they're not considering why am I doing it in the first place to provide value, right? To provide some serious value uh, to the people who are searching it and to show them that I have something that's worth reading. And a lot of it is is garbage or clickbait. So I, I think it takes a lot of research. I think that's a a step that is skipped just because I know about a subject in a general way, or even if I'm a, an, an expert in a subject, I should still research it and see what everyone's showing and, and providing those links to the research that's, you know, doing the work ahead of time for people providing links. If it's written content, right. Making sure backing up, you know, Bridget makes fun of us for saying, you know, user audience persona, but saying, okay, who is my audience? Yeah. What do they really need? You know, just because this search term showed up in some keyword research, uh, is my audience actually looking for that? Is written content the right type of content? Do I need to make a video? Do I need to produce some other form of content that's actually going to be more helpful to, or or meld all those together? You know, am I going to push out some, you know, 500 word uh, piece of junk that just barely meets the requirements and, and that I've optimized so that I can get something on, on a, a cert page? Or am I going to actually spend the time and the effort that it's going to take um, to I, to make something really awesome? I read, I can't remember who does it, but there's someone who came up with this technique called skyscraper content. Oh, that was, what, Bri that was Brian Dean, actually. Yeah, Brian yeah. Dean, backlink IO. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and doing that, looking at, okay, here's the content that's out there. How can I make something even more awesome? I think I think I think that I hope that that really takes off because we can push some of this garbage down because there really is there's a lot out there that, you know, it's optimized and Google's like, "Oh, bloop bleep bloop, this looks great." <laughs> you know? And then it, and then it, you read it and you're like, that doesn't answer my question. Sorry, Google, try oh, again. Man. I mean, it's yeah. like the Chrysler building in the Empire State. They just made the antenna top taller. Right. Yeah. Well, it's, I think part part of what's <laughs> happening, and you know, the reason that it's more more difficult is you know everybody has jumped on the content marketing bandwagon because. Yeah. Their their ads weren't working anymore, and so they're not looking at it from the perspective of how can I provide value to people and you know yeah. build something up over time. They're looking at it from the perspective of uh, how can I use this to make money, and so you know you get stuff that's basically regurgitating everything else that's been out there already, uh, or, or you know that's that's really very badly written, or uh, that you know that really isn't that. Full because it's sort of like no, we have to like we have to feed the content monster. We have to crank mm -hmm. it out, and you know it is important in order to to succeed to be you know to produce frequently and uh, content frequently and regularly, and trying to frequently and regularly of a high quality is really hard work. It's much harder work than you know buying the 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 ads on Google or Facebook or the banner ads or the whatever. Uh, it takes a lot of of time, and that's partly why it's a difficult 
um, for very small companies and, and sole proprietors to do it because you're trading that time against the time that you're actually billing. Mm-hmm. Right. Unless that's your job. So uh, we have an aggressive publishing schedule um, and we publish four times a week and we have, um, it's very aggressive. Your face right now, Bridget, you look like you've got PTSD from the publishing schedule. <laughs> and, and, and we're not making fast food meals with these. Um, we have kind of, we're also, um, we self, we edit each other and we have high standards and it's a crap ton of work and it takes a long time. It does take a long time. It takes a lot of writers. Uh, it takes guest writers. You know how to find me if you want to write about nonprofits. <laughs> She's like, please. Bridget at wordimpress.com. Uh, but, oh, um, I'll just start out. I know. <laughs> I'll just start I'm always <laughs> plugging. But here's the thing. Um, and I found it this week when I was writing about why nonprofits need SEO is that HubSpot did this survey, and the chat won't let me put a link in, but HubSpot did this survey where it says um, companies who publish 16 or more blog posts a month got four and a half times more leads. That's the reality. They have a a, um, graph on their their site that has a steep incline uh, from that. So, you know, the truth is that Publishing regularly, at least once a week, is a good practice. But if you really want more leads and more traffic, you have to be more aggressive. Yeah. Wow. So that leads me to a great question that I want to ask the panel. And I think that, that you kind of partially answered that, Bridget. Uh, but, but let me ask everybody else. Adam, what is the difference that you see between – Businesses that actually embrace content marketing and those who don't, is it measurable? Is it significant? Yeah. I mean, for sure. You can, you can tell by the content, you know, you can tell when someone has written something and they're not, or, or created a video or what have you created some form of content where they've half-assed it. They, they feel like they're having to do it. You know, it's like anything you can tell when someone doesn't want to be there and doesn't want to be doing something, you know, and what, and the content will reflect this in, in the writing and it'll be, it'll end too quickly or it won't cover it or it'll leave out things where anybody who knows half about half of anything about the subject would say, well, why wasn't that included? You know? Um, so you, you can see it, I think in the, in the quality level, and the presentation of the content, whatever it happens to be, and the, and those are those are for the ones who who don't right. Those are the ones who don't do it, and then the ones who are, who really embrace it. Um, you can you can kind of glean a type of they have joy in what they're doing, right? They're enjoying it. They're having a good time writing. They're having a good time, you know, making the videos. They're having fun. Um, they have said, you know, this is something we're going to do. It's not, I must do it. I have to do it. God, I got to write an article. You know, it's, it's, they, they can't wait to share their thoughts, you know, even if it's a, an audience of, you know, 10 regular readers or, or what. Sorry, Adam, these are very un English. <laughs> <set you off. laughs> Joy, you know, do so. I don't know what, this is very American. <laughs> You know, you've got to be joyous about writing your 5,000-word article. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, even with the Englishman, you can you can glean a tiny bit of repressed joy in there from time repressed to time. So. <laughs> oh, my gosh. 
I'm sure Bridget is full of joy at her when she's got that deadline for that no, 5,000 article. I'm not. I'm not. I wish I was. I'm like, what the hell? Check your email. Let's prove this. Come on, get- what time is it? Let's get this done. I'm like that editor and the user going, ah, publish, publish, publish. <laughs> I definitely want to riff on something that you said, Adam, and tie it back into something that Sally said uh, just a minute ago. There is a lot of, you know, we we all hear that content is king, and right, and you see a lot of people putting out like three hundred or five hundred word articles that it just feels like they're doing it because they think that's what they should be doing. Yeah, but it doesn't necessarily lead to anything. So you can publish a lot of content, mm-hmm. but if it's not really resonating. Right. With anyone, then it's not going to lead to anything. And Absolutely. I think content is king, but here's why. You you ha- the goal is to build some sort of community or authority or you know, people are going to like have trust in you or they're going to want to keep reading you and then eventually, you know, that's getting them at the beginning like into some sort of like sales funnel or consumption funnel. Right. Yeah. And and that's the, the end goal is to build some sort of community where you can eventually, way down the line, like make some sales. Right, um, Sally, want to ask you like a follow up, like with your clients, do you see, uh, like a huge difference between people who embrace like a consistent like schedule, or it, and the people who just kind of do it when they feel like it or don't do it at all? Uh, yeah. I do see that. I mean, I, you know, I have a lot of clients where, you know, they, they start out with, you know, intentions to, to mm-hmm. blog and pretty much nothing happens. Uh, and those are usually the, the smaller companies, you know, the ones who aren't in, in a position to hire somebody like Bridget, uh, you know, even part time and and ensure that there's a person whose job is, is just creating content. And then the companies where, you know, they take the, the content marketing seriously and they do produce regular content and they and they aim to make it you know good quality content uh, and they start to see you know results that you know over time this is bringing people to their website this is you know this is establishing their their authority and in, in their and uh, then ultimately leading to uh, you know leading to more business for them but yeah if you know you're going to be disappointed if you expect instantaneous sales from it that's not what content marketing is is about that's that's a really good point i mean i i think that it's easy to miss how important this is in the it's a long-term game right it's it's playing the long game content is not going to produce generally is not going to produce immediate results but it it sets you up in a number of ways as you said john to to build this community but to build your own authority as well so that Today it might not bring me a sale, but a year or two from now, or, or even five, you might you might have something. Like Bridget has the, didn't you have that with your in epoxy your injection, injection, your epoxy injection? Yeah. yeah, three years later, got a job that turned to a job that whose whose net profit paid for me for half a year. Yeah, it was three years old. So yeah. it that's the thing is it's you got to remember that it's going to sit on the internet for a while. You know, as long as you keep your uh, website up. <laughs> well, you're, plant, you're planting a bunch of seeds yeah. and they don't grow into like a big redwood overnight <laughs> right 
That's an excellent analogy. Yeah, but I, I just think, you know, it'd be interesting to ask Adam and Bridget, you know, there's a kind of small group of people that kind of influenced the way I've looked upon this and trying to up my game, still am. I would say, like, Shane from Fry Themes, his own blog is quite... Mm-hmm. Um, he don't mince his words mm-hmm. um, when he gets to the point. I think one of our Brian Jackson, who's on our panel, has you know he's written some good stuff about his own experience. The one that's influenced me the most recently has been Ro- uh, Bob- Robbie Wim- Richards um, of RobbieRichards.com. I've tried to get him on the show, but he's a bit. Mm-hmm. Ex- is a bit mysterious, but um, <laughs> um, but I've learned a lot from his um, case studies, and I think I think case studies. Uh, I was going to ask Adam this, you know. I think case studies are really powerful if you really write good ones. Do you think so? Absolutely. I mean, they you know a case study can be a beautiful way of demonstrating what you can do, you know, and what your company can do and has done, and it and it sets you again. It sets you up as a um, as an authority, right? And that, and shows that because when people are, are, you know, the sales funnel can get so long sometimes, you know, right. people are spending so much time trying to figure out who's, the, you know, where should I go? Who should I pay for to do this? And, and being able to have these types of content that demonstrate in a very real world way, it's one thing to say, oh, we build websites, right? Okay, great. That doesn't mean a whole lot. It's another <laughs> thing to say, here's a website that I built for this customer and here's the you know the value that they have have extracted from that and here's how it's helped them to build their business and here's how it's helped them to do this and do that so yeah i think i think case studies are a a wonderful piece of content and you know they do they generally require a lot more work than you know your average blog article they are labor intensive but you know again the the idea is um you know making something valuable and if that and that is something that i am hard pressed to think of a business that that wouldn't be able to use a case study in some form or fashion. Yeah, for a plug-in shop, we just started doing more case studies as well because they want to know it does give integrate with other things. Like we just published one about um, give being um, integrated with Infusionsoft. So it, it highlights different ways. Developers, because that's one of our personas, right? It's not just the nonprofit secretary who's throwing something up in Divi. It's it's a developer who ha- who works with nonprofits and they're like, well, I don't know. The nonprofit needs to work with Salesforce or Infusionsoft or double the donation or whatever it is. Can your plugin work with these things? Bridget, this this show's supposed to be child friendly. You know, <laughs> yeah. Do you have to swear on the show? I'm just saying. You know, for God's sake, Bridget. <laughs> That's right, Infusionsoft. It's a very dirty word. But a lot of nonprofits use it, and that's their deal breaker, right? right. So if if that's their deal breaker, Look, Bridget, it's I'm still in, to... last time I worked with Infusion, I'm still in therapy for, for based on the bloody experience, Bridget. Well, I do know a good developer who um, works with Infusionsoft, and they work. I feel with sorry them, for so. him. I feel really sorry for him. Hey, <laughs> rather him than me. <laughs> oh man I love case studies they are more work and I agree with Adam <laughs> you know one one thing that that going back to your earlier question John about um, you know what really sets it apart is that I, I think that we, we haven't talked about this but I think voice is really important too yes and I, and I think when we're creating content 
a lot of times the content can be kind of subpar if the voice is really unique and stands out to people. You know, obviously we want to be- create the best content possible, but if someone has a, you know, they don't mince words as, as you were talking about earlier, you know, they, they um, have something that really speaks to me, even if the content isn't necessarily the best video or the best piece out there. Uh, if the if the person who's doing it and the voice that they've come up with is, is really unique and really something that resonates with me, and you used that word earlier, Jonathan, I think res- you know it needs to resonate, right? Because there there's so much content out there, and it is and people are going to bounce away in a heartbeat if your content doesn't grab them right away, right? And that voice needs to resonate with your brand. So yeah. if you're if you're if you're trying to position yourself as something serious, I would stay away from humor. Sorry, that's silly. <laughs> he, he doesn't like bad content either. He hates I know, but it's just the exactly. postman bring me something. Hey, dog. Anyway, uh, <laughs> but the truth is, if you're trying to be snarky, maybe that doesn't work in your brand. Does he, hey. does he respond to that clicking or did? <laughs> I'm trying to like maintain over here. I'm on a leash. I'm on. My, I'm on a leash. Sully, shh, come here. Yeah, de- <laughs> de- definitely. What you're saying, like, there has to be consistency. You're right, your voice. And, yeah. and it has to. It has to resonate with with the image you're trying to put out for your brand. Mm-hmm. So if you're fine with being snarky because that resonates with your audience, do it. You know. Right. But if you're trying to be serious um, and you wanted to get that serious, then I wouldn't be... Bridget, nobody would start a Twitter storm just for the sake of promoting their article, would they? (laughs) Of course not. I do think if you're you're trying to create a brand that doesn't fit your own personality, you're going to suffer. That's a good point. Well, it's, it's also... well. Yeah, but people have to trust you. So it just depends on who your audience is. That's why it goes back to personas. And I only make fun of those guys because I think it's fun for me. <laughs> and I am and I am snarky, so people know that. But I don't write snarky when I write forgive, or at least I try not to. I try to be serious because we're talking about money. It's about donations, right? So people are serious about their causes. They're serious about drilling wells in Africa. They're serious about helping the homeless. They're serious about ending childhood illnesses. They're serious about domestic violence. This is not anything that should be joked about, right? So it, def- it really does you, you depend need to on move, the bread. Bridget, you need to move to England. That's <laughs> oh all I've got to say. That's all I've got to say. I love you, you You're so God. serious. Our other panelist, Sally, will tell you the British mentality, won't you, Sally? Oh, man. <laughs> yes. Well, it's, see, the, the thing to understand about the English that, that one doesn't necessarily is, is that, uh, you know, they're very good at being polite, but they also have a a, a splendid ability to call a spade a bloody shovel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're not, you know, but there we go. Um, my, my, <laughs> I think it's time to end this podcast, don't you, my beloved? And um, mm-hmm. don't you think so, my beloved? And then we go on to the bonus content, which you only find on the website. What do you mm. reckon, John? I, I think that's a good idea. Let's uh, end the regular podcast, and then we'll go on to the bonus content, which you will find on WP Tonic, also on our YouTube channel. Uh, be sure to subscribe to our podcast. 
give us a rating. It really helps us. Helps other people find this uh, WordPress goodness uh, that we dish out twice a week. You know, it, take your medicine. And uh, <laughs> so with that, I'll let the panel uh, tell us where they can find them. Adam, how do people get a hold of you? Oh, God, I'm everywhere. On <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, it's like a rush. Right? Uh, One line rush. <laughs> on Twitter, I'm at AdamFout2. Um, our, our Twitter account, Blue Steel, is at Blue Steel Texas. That's probably going to be the best way. But we also have BlueSteelSolutions.com as our website. And um, my website, if you want to see the weird stuff I write, is AdamFout.com. Highly recommended, by the way. Yeah. Bridget, uh, how, how do we get a hold of you? I am BridgetWiller.com. I also blog regularly at GiveWP.com, WordPress.com, and my snark is contained mostly on Twitter at YouTubeCanBeGuru. Awesome. Sally, how do we get a hold of you? Uh, you can visit my website at WPFangirl.com, and if you can spell my name, you will find me uh, everywhere else. <laughs> Lovely. And Jonathan, my beloved co-host, how do we get a hold of you? Oh, you find me on Twitter at Jonathan Denwood. That's my tag. Uh, um, I've been told that I do answer pretty quick. And uh, or you can email me. If you email me direct, I will answer. I'm not one of these people that leaves it two weeks later. So if you email me at Jonathan at WP-Tonic.com, you'll get a reply in a couple of days. Very good. And you can get a hold of me. At my website, which is LockdownDesign.com. And you can also find me on Twitter, Lockdown underscore. And with that, we will bid you farewell. Goodbye. Goodbye.